This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health conscious lifestyles. That's right, Health IQ rewards us for our lifestyle choices. Head over to healthiq.com slash no meat to learn more about all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 167 of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay. And Doug, before we get to our exciting interview this week, we got to talk Halloween. Ooh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so, did you dress up this year, Doug? I did not. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in myself because I normally really get into the whole you dress seem up thing. Like, you seem like a Halloween guy, yeah. a dress up guy to I me. I like trying to come up with some sort of creative costume, yeah. but didn't do it this year. Last year, I was a, on the last year, I was a Ouija board. That's that. That's a good costume. It was and I hope, good. I hope once you have a baby, you don't. You're not the, the dad who never dresses up. No, I, I'm excited it's, to. Well, have it seems like you're father daughter costume. No, I don't know. It sounds like you're headed the way of. <laughs> most you know, baby's not even here yet, and you're not dressing up. What do you think about parents who? So I did hand out candy. Okay. Um, and handed out a lot of candy, several bags right. of candy. What do you think about parents who take their infant trick or treating when they are clearly too young to eat the candy? Mm, but the, right. So they're using the infant sort of as a yeah, prop to get candy. To get extra candy. There was a lot of that going on. Yeah, I'm okay on. with that. That's fine. Yeah, yeah yep. okay. All right. <laughs> no problem with that. All right, settled. It's fine. <laughs> so you were Ouija board. Oh, not this year. Last year you were Ouija Last year. I, was that, I don't remember hearing that for me. That seemed, that's a good costume. It was. I spent a lot of time on it. It was functioning. So I actually hung the like uh, little magnifying glass thing or whatever it is, the arrow thing, um, around a necklace. And you could use it. Everyone could put their hands on it and use it. Mm-hmm. To... Did you get a lot of... A lot of action. I mean, a lot of games played. Ouija games. Oh yeah, lots of things <laughs> yeah. were discovered about. Oh yeah, about predictions myself made. Myself and other people. And wow. I was like, wow. If only, if only yeah. we knew what they were. <laughs> well, that's cool. My the highlight of my Halloween was uh, that my son was he dressed up as Cal Ripken Jr., which came about largely because we had a Cal Ripken Jr. costume on hand that I the wore. Baltimore former Baltimore Baltimore Orioles the Iron Man, uh, who grew up near near where I grew up only. A generation ahead, of course. Yep. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I had a costume from when I this 1989, I believe. My mom, we bought an Orioles shirt. My mom stitched or, or sewed or whatever, ironed, I don't know. Felt felt number eight and, and the felt Cal Ripken name on the back. It sort of looked kind of homemade, but like in a, in a nice, charming kind of way. Sure. Uh, so it was a nice costume, and he, he wore that. I guess he, I don't know, he had a few ideas, but then ended up just not really making a decision. So it was kind of like, well, I'll just be Cal Ripken because we have that shirt. Uh, so it was cool. So we took a side-by-side picture, and, and it was neat to see this Halloween costume in use 30 years later. Yeah, that's super cool. And uh, what was really cool is I, I put it on Twitter, and I tagged the Orioles organization, who has half a million followers, and they retweeted it. Yeah, Which I think is cool. Yeah. It made me feel like I was like part of the team in some way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh, yeah, you're the guy who we retweeted exactly. you know, last Halloween. Exactly, right. Which Might I, get tickets for life now. I feel I figure that should be or on field them. access for that. <laughs> that is cool. That's fun. Yes. So that was it was good. Uh, my daughter was Wonder Woman. I did not end up being the Marty McFly that I talked so much about because I couldn't find the red uh, that life preserver vest that he wears. Dude, I have one. Do you? Yeah. I didn't think to reach out to my network. Oh, that's what I was last year. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did dress up for Halloween last year. No no. I thought you wait. Were... Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so confused. <laughs> When uh, was the, so in uh, your past, you've been Marty McFly yeah, and for the, Ouija board. 
Oh, man. Yes. So two years ago, I was at Ouija board. And that was when we were at home handing out candy. Last year, we went to a concert at the Orange Peel. And oh, and you were that fun. because that was the year. That was, that the, was year. the Back to the Future year yes. in the future. When they exactly. That's okay. Right. So, so you I was, have. I, some... I apologize. I okay. all mixed up. <laughs> so I could have reached out to you from the first red. Dress. Yeah, I have a the perfect the perfect red kind of life jacket. I went, I went to Goodwill best. stores, searched high and low, and found nothing. But didn't think to ask people. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So that's that was uh, that was all well and good. That was Halloween. And maybe one day, maybe after you have, maybe if we're still doing this show in four years, we can weigh in on how we do Halloween with vegan children. <laughs> if, you're, if your child is even vegan, who knows? You mean candy-wise and stuff? Yeah, because it's a... It is get tricky, I imagine, yeah. It's actually not, I mean, it's been easy. We kind of just have, like, my daughter who's three, we, we bought her a Wonder Woman doll. Like a Barbie, they make a Barbie doll that is Wonder Woman now. It's like, uh-huh. one, it's DC superhero girl, so it's like a girl Wonder Woman. Uh, we bought her that yesterday. And basically gave her that and said, here, here's the deal. You're going to get this new thing. All You get to choose any five pieces of candy you want, and the rest will just go away. <laughs> and that, the dentist is actually buying candy like by the pound. I think it's, it's not a good rate. It's like a dollar a pound or something. But buying anyway, candy from people? From people, and then, then they, from kids, you know, so the kids get money instead of candy. And what do they do with it? Throw it away? Eat it. That's interesting. Uh yeah, and my son just tends to forget about it. Like he's we, we more we tell him what's vegan and what isn't, and he kind of ignores the non-vegan stuff. It's I mean I don't know. It's not like we're lucky that he hasn't really had that stuff his whole life, so it's kind of easy for him to not care that much. If, right. if he'd always been eating Snickers bars, and now we're like, well, you can't have that anymore. Yeah, but you know, we bought like a little uh, I don't know Justin's I guess is the company they sell them at Whole Foods, but they're they're basically Reese's pieces or Reese's peanut butter cups, but they're dark chocolate and they're vegan. So we had those around like for the two days around Halloween. So, you know, they get more candy than they eat all year. And right. it really has not been an issue. It's surprisingly not an issue. Good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yes. So anyway, uh, I guess we should get get to our topic, huh? I don't know. <laughs> no, we, just, we just keep doing Halloween for Yeah, no, this is a good one. We had another interview today, and we're talking about supplements, right? Which uh, is a big topic that we get a lot of questions about. And, and, you know, it's one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. I know you have too. Yeah, and it's one I've read lots of things about, but I just never really feel qualified to like talk about that stuff. Anything approaching the medical, you know, I don't, I just, I don't want to go there. I don't, I'm because I'm not an expert in in those things. I'm not a chemist, not a biologist, none of that stuff. So I think that was why I was good to do this interview. The guy's name is Kamal Patel. Uh, many people know about the site Examine.com, and he is the director of that site. It's one I have referred to several times linked to, I guess, um, in Nomad Athlete articles in the past, just because they they are a site that is remarkable in how how much work they do to stay unbiased. That's their big thing, is they, they don't take money from anyone. They do now sell some ebooks and some of their own products where they, in like a supplement reference guide, or these, these where they publish like research, uh, I don't know, kind of curated research each, each month or something, uh, in something called their Research Digest, which actually is a very good publication that I have read many times. Um, but anyway, they don't take, they don't have sponsors like we do. They don't do affiliate stuff. Like they won't, you won't see them linking to Amazon and saying, here's, here's the best creatine, the one we recommend. Like they don't do that. Um, which I think is really good. It, to me, it gives me some confidence when so often we hear the problem and I asked him specifically about this, but we so often get the, the frustration from people saying there's so much conflicting information on the, on the internet. And it's all convincing. Like if you, if you read, you know, a, a keto diet article, 
you find yourself kind of nodding along and being like, yeah, this because it's by people who are really right. smart, you know, and there are sure. a lot of smart people in in those camps. And uh, and then you read something that's that's the opposite, and it's in the the high carbohydrate group, and and that's really convincing. So it's like, how do you possibly decide what to what to listen to? Uh, I don't know that there is a good answer to that, but but Kamal takes a shot at it and has some has some good advice. So anyway, they are a good site uh, for resolving those issues. For me, they're kind of the go to one when I when I have questions, I tend to go there first and get their what I think fair unbiased take on it. Cool. Yes. So anyway, um, I, I guess his little bio, according to their site, he's a nutrition researcher with an MPH and MBA from Johns Hopkins University, and not unlike someone, a podcast host of ours, is on hiatus from a PhD <laughs> in nutrition. Mine was in, in math, but yeah, I guess it's, mine's kind of can on you, hiatus. Can you still call it hiatus this many <laughs> years been, later? Yeah, I guess it's it's been about four, almost five years now. One day, maybe. All right. As long I'm, as I, long I, as I can say I one day. My breath. Right. Uh, anyway, so he's published articles on vitamin D, calcium, uh, and a variety of clinical research topics. So anyway, good guy to talk to about supplements. That's the the take home message there. Great. Yes. Uh, so anyway, the I guess little teasers. I we we talk a little bit about I guess somewhat more general topics. Should we take supplements or none beyond just B twelve? Uh, with plant based diets in particular, are there special concerns we need to think about? And then we asked, I asked some some specific questions. You know, what do you think about protein? What about creatine? What about branch chain amino acids? And got some spe- specific answers to these things. Uh, and asked them at the end. This I was not planning to ask this, but we started talking about good studies versus bad studies, and how do you tell? This was in in, in response to the question about how do we sort out how do, how do we deal with conflicting information. Uh, I asked him what he thought of the China study because that is is one that you know is is held up sort of as as the. I don't know, the reason to be plant-based by many people. And at the same time, if you look, you can find some really well-done criticisms of it that, that do a pretty good job of pointing out that there are some flaws in the study. So, you know, I was wondering, is that enough to just, like, discount this thing? Should this not no longer be our our thing that we point to as here's here's all the good evidence? Uh, so he had some interesting things to say about that as well. Before we get to the interview, Doug, I have one thing to let people know about, and that is that this... The, I guess a week, what, 10 days from now or so, I will be in Atlanta for the Remedy Food Project live event, my second one there. This is the the sequel to the Toronto event, or I guess it's the third in their series maybe. But uh, the Toronto event, of course, is one that, that had the big impact on my dad when we talked to him last week. Last week. Yep. Uh, so anyway, Atlanta is November 11th through 13th. I will be there speaking with lots of other good ones like T. Colin Campbell, Ocean Robbins, Dr. Michael Greger. David Carter, known as the 300-pound vegan, the NFL player. Uh, Doug Lyle, John Pierre, Brenda Davis, Chef AJ, lots more. Jason Robel, who's been on this podcast before doing a cooking demo. So very, very good event, but it's it's last minute now, and not everyone, of course, can make it to Atlanta. So now what they're doing, this is cool, is a digital, virtual ticket to the event. So you, Doug, could play along at home. You could live, sit at your house, watch every single one of these presentations, and it's kind of more, way more affordable than, than actually coming there. The, the, it's priced accordingly, so it's a good deal. And if you want to check it out, it is at nomadathlete.com slash remedy. That's R-E-M-E-D-Y. And you can get all the details there about joining us virtually. You could even have a viewing party. You could have a viewing party. Maybe I should do that. You could have Doug dress up as a Ouija board and bring some food over. And... <laughs> yeah. Can we give away one viewing party where Doug will come to your house <laughs> just as a Ouija board? Sure. <clears throat> You're okay with that? Just as a Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
maybe for the future. Future promotion, maybe one day. We'll All have, right. We'll that have that. Sounds like a good one. Not this time, though. All right. Anything else, Doug, before we get to Kamal? I think, I think that's it. Okay. Let's do it. Hey everyone, Matt here with Kamal Patel, who is director of examine.com, which is a site that I have personally used many, many times to go find, uh, I guess what I consider to be as about as unbiased research as you can in the world of health and nutrition uh, as there is on the internet. So Kamal, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. So we are going to talk about supplements today. That's that's the main uh, topic we're going to try to try to hit today, uh, I guess a little bit in general, but also specifically for plant-based diets and then maybe even more down the road of specificity to uh, people who eat plant-based diets but are also athletes. Um, first though, can you tell us a little bit about examine.com and just what you do? I mean, I, I, in this intro, I'll, I'll have given a little bit of a description of why I like the site, but, um, why, why don't you let me know what, what you guys do at examine.com? Sure. So, um, around five years ago, the site kind of spawned from reddit.com. So, uh, our, uh, co-founder Saul Orwell had been involved in internet stuff before and he had lost weight using, you know, kind of commonsensical nutrition advice. Um, and then, uh, and then they got to talking on the website, and it turned out there's there were some good places to find information on the internet, actually a lot, uh, but the majority of them had some skin in the game. So they either sold supplements or they had affiliate sales or something, which is completely fine because to run a website, you have to make money. But um, he had the luxury of being able to start a website without being able or needing to make money from that. So examine.com got started. Um, I think creatine and fish oil were the first supplements. Eventually, the number of references grew, um, and they brought me on because I had a um, I had research experience in evidence-based medicine, um, having been part of the vitamin D um, evidence synthesis group before the 2010 di- uh, di- guidelines came out. So um, I came on, and I helped kind of uh, make the process more rigorous and and get more of a focus on foods and nutrients um, outside of just sort of bodybuilding supplements. Um, and now our goal is to have as much useful information from primary research as possible so that people can go directly to the papers instead of getting sort of the media spin or the spin from a nutrition guru. Gotcha. So that is that is actually what attracted me in the early days. I think, I don't know, maybe Saul reached out to me on Twitter or something and we started talking. But uh, the idea that, that the site you know wasn't really selling any advice or something that, that would bias the stuff that, that you publish um, – but I'm just now kind of curious from a business standpoint. So you do sell some things, right? You've got the Research Digest and the uh, – do you still sell the supplement guide? Yeah. So we uh, we do have to – you know, I have to pay my rent. So yeah, um, right. we make some money through additional products. So all the information on the website is free, and that's like 98% of our information. Um, and then to make money, we sell three products. Um, the Research Digest, which comes out every month, and we review – what we think are some of the most important nutrition and supplement related articles um, on things that, you know, people don't know about, like uh, different types of fatty acid effects that are just being discovered or, um, you know, a, a wide variety of microbiome and genetic related things. We also sell a stack guide, um, 17 different stack guides for different goals. Um, like there's one for vegetarians and vegans, for example, one for skin quality and hair, one for muscle gain, fat loss. Um, and that's for people who just kind of want the concise recommendations of what you might want to take. So we stay away from specific recommendations on the website uh, because we don't want people to take things that might be dangerous and advice is always so should be personalized. So in the stack guides, we say, 
you know, if you're an older postmenopausal female, you might want to consider this, but if you're a younger person, you might not. Um, and it stacks well with the supplement, but it might be dangerous to take with these medications. Um, and then we also sell uh, supplement goals reference that kind of lists everything out in an easy PDF form online or offline rather. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm certainly no problem with selling stuff. That's, that's obviously how we and many other podcasts and blogs make money. Uh, by by selling their own stuff, I was just kind of curious. Like, where do you? How do you? How do you draw the line? Like, when you say, okay, we're going to start selling this product, what? Uh, you know, in what in what way do you keep that un, totally unbiased, or, or therefore keep your your public free content unbiased towards that? Because you're not pushing anything specific with those things. Is that the idea? Yeah. So um, when the website first got started, there was no pressure at all to sell anything. You know, the honeymoon year or two. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then eventually, you know, there the website uh, traffic grew, so we needed to make money. And I think for a few weeks or something, there were Amazon links. Um, and that wasn't to specific products, just to Amazon, you know, that's if you right. want to buy anything. But even then, you know, it was like, that's too direct of a link to a product. Um, so then our first products came out, the Stack Guides and the Research Digest. And, uh, and then we created a formal objectivity policy. So we can't have associations with literally anybody. Um, the only sort of informal one we have is what the, uh, European association of lifestyle medicine or something, which is just a, you know, a nonprofit, uh, physician organization. Other than that, we can't accept samples of supplements at, at conferences. We can't accept like clothing. We can't talk to people about, you know, their, uh, studies that they're funding for a certain supplement, um, or diet book gurus or anything like that. So, our additional information that we sell is literally just additional information. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like uh, in the research digest, there will be an issue that comes up like creatine and cognition came up in a pretty cool study for major depression. And we tore it apart from different angles. We had a pharmacologist look through it, a couple of physicians, a couple of bench scientists, uh, myself, some dietitians, um, and then tried to see if there were any practical takeaways. So it's basically just extra information. Um that isn't on the website because it takes us many, many hundreds of hours to do, and it's what we use to make money. Sure. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I think that's wonderful. Uh, I'm sure you have no plans of changing that model, so uh, so good. I, you know, I think I think examine.com will remain uh, a nice, good, trustworthy source. So let's, uh, let's jump into some of the stuff here. So when someone – I know you guys aren't a, a vegan or vegetarian site. That's not what you're about. Um, but you are someone who obviously has lots of experience reviewing health articles and nutrition articles and, you know, being exposed to people with, with eating different diets and how they're doing. So when someone approaches you and said, Hey, I'm, I've started eating a plant-based diet, hundred percent vegan diet, and I'm, I'm doing it for health and I feel great. What, what goes through your mind? Are you thinking like, yes, this is, this is a good thing. You're on to something or, or do you start having bells and whistles saying, well, you, you better make sure you need to get this and this and this because you know, who knows what <laughs> it's a bit more of the former. So, um, I think uh, of all diets, uh, you know, vegan diets are probably one of the top three in terms of bashing, and it's unfortunate. So I grew up without meat in the household. My family is vegetarian, um, and I've gone short to medium periods being vegan or vegetarian. Um, and then I've gone periods eating, you know, a lot of animal foods. And then I, I kind of base it on um, sort of more ethical grounds and nutrition grounds because I think it's quite easy to live a healthy life and a a long life being vegetarian or vegan. So um, the reason why it's more so, you know, good job, uh, you know, what what kinds of things do you want to look up now rather than these are the certain supplements you want to take. The reason I think that way is that um, 
I think people are too focused on supplements. So just because we cover a lot of supplements, people think that we're pro supplements. We're not. We have absolutely no viewpoint. Uh, whenever new evidence comes out for or against supplement, you know, we publish it. So um, people on vegetarian and vegan diets who have to watch out and take a lot of supplements are people who eat junk food vegan diets or junk food vegetarian diets. So when I uh, I live in San Francisco now. And there's a lot of vegetarians and vegans here. And then I previously lived in Boston and there's a lot of vegetarians and vegans. And I um, infrequently uh, attended meetings with the Boston Vegan Association. Uh, and uh, and it was interesting, you know, 90% of people already knew the common deficiencies, but 10% of people were, you know, I eat hummus and bread or uh, some weird spread and bread or some snacks. And then a couple servings of salad a week, and then that's my healthy vegetarian diet. So that's the type of case where you might want to consider supplements to take every day. If you're in the healthy sort of diet camp, it still could be good to take some supplements, but it's not at all necessary. Gotcha. Yeah. So I I tend to agree. I mean, even even having come at it from a from a different angle, when we're you know I, I've I've been vegan for a while now and and researched it from that perspective. Um, Obviously, B12, vitamin B12, almost, I think almost everyone's in agreement here that, that we need to get that. Now and then you find some sects of the vegan vegetarian population who, who you know claim to do fine without it from dirty produce or whatever. But it seems like most of us are on the same page and agree that we need B12. Um, beyond that, what do you – I mean what do you think about supplements? For somebody who eats, I don't know, a fairly varied, fairly healthy not, – not the ultimate healthy perfect diet but um, plant-based diet and, and does a good job with it but you know they've also got a busy life and – not every single meal is fresh fruits. Maybe it's a salad most days, but not every day. Um, you think there are certain things they absolutely should supplement with besides B12? Yeah, um, or maybe think about supplementing with. So the first step before buying any supplement is always to put a typical day's diet, like a weekday and then maybe a weekend day into you know, one of those nutrition tracking things, um, preferably one that tracks all the uh, micronutrients rather than just fat and calories, which don't matter as much. Is there one so you, you'd you recommend? Um, I, because of the oh, overly right. extensive objectivity, <laughs> problem, I can't talk about any. So, <laughs> okay. um, we'll you know, there, there's one that has a, uh, that is located in San Francisco, their headquarters, and it's the most popular and it seems to work okay. So, okay. Cool. Um, so that's always the first step. So I briefly worked at a um, obesity clinic for a, a summer a few years ago and that wasn't the case. So people would not track their diets and then they would have no idea why they felt bad or why they felt good. And even if you track, it's still hard to find that. But once you start tracking, then you can find some insights. So let's say you put in your diet and you're really high in certain vitamins that a lot of vegans are high in, which makes sense. A lot of vegans are high in vitamin A, vitamin K, stuff like that. That's, those things are almost never low and fairly balanced diets. The things you have to think about are... and I like to, uh, I spent some time in the um, paleo community uh, organizing conferences and stuff, but my best paleo friend was a vegetarian paleo person. Hmm. Um, so we talked a lot about um, sort of ancestrally inspired uh, meat-free diets. And the thing is, that's not unheard of. So I come, or my great-grandparents come from Gujarat in India, which as far as I know, has the longest history of vegetarianism in the world, uh, stretching back at least four, maybe 500 years. So if anybody's going to have adaptations to not eating meat, it would be me. 
because my parents, grandparents, etc., didn't eat any animal products except for occasionally yogurt or butter or something. So, um, so if you rewind back to your great grandparents and then you rewind back again another few hundred years before that, think about what you might be missing. So, people in India, for example, don't uh, subsist on salads. People don't actually eat salads that much in India, and part of it is probably just you know you, you don't want to get sick from things that aren't washed, and then also uh, greens don't provide calories, and if you need calories, it's not a great way to get them. But then if you think of it more intuitively, um, you know, people a thousand or two thousand years ago wouldn't eat a big salad every day. You tend to eat things that provide you energy and protein. And vegetarians and vegans pretty much realize this now. Um, you know, if you rewind 30 years, a lot of vegans didn't get enough complete protein um, or through combining foods. But nowadays you do. So um, I don't think enough vegans eat tubers. You know, tubers are a source of calories. They're a source of certain minerals and some vitamins that you might be low in. Um, you know, pulses, basically a variety of foods, not just bread and salad, which is a large component of a lot of vegan diets I've seen. So if you put in your diet and you're still eating a lot of those things, I think the things you might be lower in is minerals, not really vitamins, but minerals. And that's because meat is a good source of minerals. Um, in fact, the reason why red meat tastes the way that it does is because of minerals and different foods have different tastes, not just because of the phytochemicals and other stuff in them, but because of the vitamins and minerals. So um, red meat has some vitamin C, red meat has uh, zinc and copper, um, and uh, different types of seafood taste different because of minerals. So look at your mineral content and possibly supplement with a couple of minerals, maybe magnesium, which some people are low in, maybe iodine. Um, but it's also completely possible to not be low in anything. Uh, like, uh, the, I don't know if you know, maybe you know him personally, Durian Rider, the fruitarian. I don't know him personally, but of course I know who he is. Okay, so um, extremely controversial for different reasons, but is an interesting case study from a nutrition viewpoint. If you plug all of his uh, sample days worth of data in, um, he's actually not low in any nutrient, hmm. which might be surprising because he literally only eats fruits, you know, tons of bananas and uh, sometimes not a super wide variety of fruit. But if you eat a lot of plant food, once you get beyond a certain amount, you'll meet your nutrient requirements. So then the question is, what additional stuff might you need to fuel your performance? It's not really what you need for a recommended daily allowance. Gotcha. So uh, how much, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're basing that off of what you would input into a nutrition calculator. How much of the story is that, what you're putting in, and how much is like, you know, more personal, what your body is, is good at using or not using? Is that is that another big factor that you, you know, should, should do blood testing for, or do you think nutrition covers yeah, most so what your body's uh, doing is extremely important, um, under-recognized important, but it's got some issues. So uh, getting your nutrients tested is somewhat of a good idea, but there's probably too much testing done. So, you know, definitely get vitamin D tested and it's not really a nutrition related thing. It's just vitamin D is extremely important for stuff and it's not found in most foods, even for people who eat meat. Um, but then aside from that, there's a lot of things that are just starting to be known in the past couple of years from research because research is expanding sort of exponentially. So, for example, uh, people from northern Africa and southern Asia, um, when they eat plants, because we've typically eaten more plants, people who live near the equator, um, and I don't know if this is offensive at all, but I tend to think of it as, you know, people who have lived in the sun for eons and then the people of the snow, you know, if you're paler, 
then you probably have had some ancestral exposure to snow. So in that case, there's uh, a longer history of like preserving meats uh, and preserving other foods and fermented vegetables and stuff, but also uh, from uh, preserving meats. So you'll go long periods without that many plant foods with some, of course, but not that many. Uh, whereas if you come from near the equator, it turns out that uh, you extract and metabolize fats differently from plant foods. So uh, the hypothesis is that when there were times when uh, there wasn't a lot of protein, there was sort of a protein famine and people around the equator got more plant foods to subsist on, then they needed to still get enough EPA and DHA. So they extracted um, and metabolize more long chain fatty acids from the parent shorter chain fatty acids in the plants, which could be a good thing or bad thing. So it's a good thing because it means maybe if you're a vegetarian and I don't know if this only applies to people with darker skin. Um, I, I don't know if there's any more studies out, but you could still be making enough omega threes and or omega sixes um, in order to be perfectly healthy, even if you're not eating that much fat. The con is that it's not like we're just producing omega-3 uh, from that slightly different genetic tendency. We're also producing more omega-6, and almost everybody has a skewed omega-6 to 3 ratio, which is a bit more inflammatory. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that aren't known about individual responses to nutrients, and that's, I think, those are the studies to look out for in the next 5 or 10 years. And we try to co cover one every few months or so, but um, it's kind of the Wild West out there in terms of genetics. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've I've definitely heard of the the you know some people being better than others at converting ALA into DHA or EPA, um, and, and similarly the things about about skin color and vitamin D, how how I guess how well your body absorbs it. Um, but I never heard the the skin color connection with DHA EPA. I hadn't really heard the story behind that. So that's that's interesting. Um, so I, I do want to ask you about some specific supplements and for athletes as well, uh, but. I just thought of another question as you were kind of talking about the the paleo approach and this kind of looking to the past and let's see what is sort of the natural ancestral way to eat and and do we need to supplement in order to to sort of uh, simulate that or, or approach that that that's going to take us as far as as you know reproductive age right I mean the, the evolution has has gotten us to be as good as we can be about reaching reproductive age so if we can eat in, in that way then we're going to get there what about for for longevity though people who want to you know live to be 120 or 150, like, you know, yeah. you hear some people now saying that that maybe is going to be possible in the next, I don't know, 50, 100 years. Uh, I mean, is that, that must be even more of a wild west, right? Like, like the stuff that we don't even need necessarily a, an ancestral yeah. basis so for? So it's, um, it's actually the wild west going in both directions, both for, you know, what the research is going to say and looking back to our past thousands of years ago to see what influenced, you know, how we're made up in our physiology. So, um, People don't really know whether sort of we're designed, um, not literally, but we've evolved in order to reach reproductive age in a healthy manner or beyond because um, tribes where grandparents live longer also are more successful sure. with younger kids. Right. Um, but, you know, that's sort of neither here nor there. Looking into the future, um, the sort of typical paleo diet that came up starting 10 to 15 years ago that is, uh, you know, meat and eggs for breakfast and then uh, grass-fed beef, you know, burger patty for lunch and then a big salad, I think is a lot less likely to lead to longer life than a non-paleo vegan diet. And, 
you know, it, this is, I, I don't know for sure. This is just me extrapolating from stuff that I've seen, but there is only a couple of ways that researchers know of to extend lifespan. And it's definitely not in humans because there's never going to be a randomized trial of people on two different diets um, and then seeing how it goes for a hundred years. So the, the closest evidence we have is from animals, specifically worms. Um, and then there is a cohort right now, a study at Tufts University, my old alum, um, for uh, calorie restriction. And that study is now at like two and a half or three years old. So the evidence is actually pretty consistent. <laughs> In um, worms, restricting calories or restricting protein can increase lifespan. And that's because um, uh, it suppresses something called mTOR, which is a uh, something that regulates cell growth. Basically, you don't want things that are consistently boosting growth because growth also leads to things like tumors. So um, an animal-based diet, not necessarily a, a balanced animal diet or when you eat meat sometimes, but an animal-based diet, which a lot of people eat, a lot more people are low-carb than ever before, is uh, probably a, a lot more um, pro-mTOR than a vegan diet because unless you're a vegan bodybuilder, which there are some, um, or more than some, uh, you're not going to be sort of ODing on the protein. There's nothing acutely bad about protein supplements, and protein can be great for appetite suppression, for immune system, uh, just a bunch of different things. But I'm skeptical of very high-protein diets every day for years, and that's something that I think uh, other people in the nutrition field disagree with me, but I've always kind of lived by the precautionary principle. I don't think you should take a, a given supplement every day your whole life because, you know, studies are not done for five or ten years. And at my old position at an evidence-based practice center when I was working on vitamin D and uh, prostate cancer treatments and those kinds of things, uh, we were also the stewards of this website, clinicaltrials.gov, which is the storehouse for all clinical trials. So anytime Pfizer or Merck or supplement company or a device manufacturer does a trial, they have to register it and put all the details in the papers that were published in the database. So we were the stewards of it. We went through and we made sure that the entries were up to date and that there was nothing wrong. I found so much basically shit on there that nobody knew about that it was insane. So it turns out that even the definition of something like mortality is not standard across different um, trials. So you could define somebody who has died as they died from natural causes. They died and they were in the intervention group. So it has to be tied to the intervention somewhat, or you could not record it at all. Um, and then we actually put out a paper on that saying that this is the most basic outcome, whether somebody or not dies and it's not even standard. So to me, that means that plus there's a whole bunch of other issues in the databases. To me, that means that you can't necessarily trust what you read in studies. So if a supplement shows three studies um, that have an advantage and one where it doesn't do anything, then you don't even know about the studies that might not have been published. You don't know about maybe statistical potholes that they just kind of glossed over. So basically, that's what we do um, at examine.com. We read the full text of the paper and we try to interpret as objectively as possible whether it provides practical information because not every supplement that says, you know, here's a bar graph, we have three times higher XYZ than, you know, some placebo, that doesn't mean anything. You basically have to read the full text of the paper, which is going to be tough if you're behind a paywall and papers are really boring. Um, but that's basically what we try to do. Right, right. And it's really, I mean, clearly shown if you if you visit like examine.com. So as we were getting ready to, to start recording here, I was looking up uh, BCAAs, branched chain amino acids, just kind of look at some of the issues before I ask you about them. 
And uh, I haven't looked in a while, but but the amount of depth that, that you guys now go into for even just a single supplement like that, uh, in this sort of standardized way that I guess you do for, for all different supplements, which is kind of rating the level of evidence, um, you know, according to its 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 effect on all different types of things. So, for example, aerobic exercise, fat oxidation, fatigue, the list goes on and on, and, and each one of them is, is treated separately uh, with, with, I guess, how how strong the data is for or against this particular supplement. So that really, really cool. Um, and I think, I hope a lot of people will, will check that out. All right, let's take a quick second to thank our sponsor, Health IQ. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health conscious lifestyles. Matt, with our baby on the way, Katie and I have recently been in the market for life insurance. What I found while filling out the information requested by different insurance companies is that for the most part, all they're interested in is whether or not I smoke and our family health history. They never asked about my lifestyle, my diet, or exercise. Then I found Health IQ. They use science and data to negotiate for lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, including vegans, runners, and more. Research has shown that vegans have a 15% lower risk of all-cause mortality, 22% lower risk of colorectal cancer, and 34% lower risk of female-specific cancer. Health IQ has special rates on life insurance that reward us for everything we do. Head over to healthiq.com slash no meat, one word, to learn more about all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. So I want to get into a few specific supplements. Uh, you mentioned, we, we mentioned protein, so I guess we could kind of start there. Um, I think a lot of people who eat the healthy versions of plant-based diets are also coming around to the idea that we really don't need protein supplements. And as you mentioned, on a daily basis, it may in fact be dangerous, um, you know, particularly for, for being growth promoting when, when really after we're not growing anymore, we don't really want to be promoting growth, except perhaps in, in some exceptional cases like vegan bodybuilders who actually do want muscle growth. Um, is there more to the, to the protein story than that? I mean, it seems like there are a lot of, even, even animal rich diets, these sort of high fat diets are, are, some of them are now saying you kind of want to minimize protein. Um, I don't know. I mean, do, do you think, it sounds like you think a, a typical plant-based person wouldn't need a protein supplement on a daily basis. Do you think there are reasons or times when one should incorporate a protein supplement into their diet? Yeah, uh, there are times and it's really times to think about it, not just, you know, automatically do it. But I think your, your listeners are a bit smarter than the average podcast listener. So you don't have to worry about that. But, um, I try to think of supplements as, you know, not just one category of powders or pills that you take, but, and at a recent talk, I, I brought up this analogy and it, it didn't make sense, so I'm gonna try it one more time and see the <laughs> answer. Um, so I, I remember in uh, you know fifth grade, uh, what is it? Geometry is geometry the one with the angles? Um, yeah, but I didn't have that till middle school. Uh, okay, maybe eighth grade. So eighth grade geometry, um, there to make a, a full 180 degree angle. If you only have like 120 degrees, then the rest of the 60 degrees is called the complement, I think, um, and the and when we talk about different things you can add to your diet, we always talk about supplements. I actually think that's a bit backwards. So um, like I said, when you put your nutrition data into whatever tool and you see what pops out, then you have a baseline and then you see what you might need. And those things that you might need, I would classify not as supplements, but as complements. So there's things that are missing from modern diets, from certain specialized diets, or, uh, you know, for very, people with various medical conditions or people who are older. 
So those compliments are things like, um, you know, I, I don't eat sea vegetables and I don't use iodized salt. Maybe I need iodine or maybe uh, there used to be a, a saying in physicians like three or four years ago, if something doesn't respond to treatment then try iodine. So iodine could be good for certain things that there's not a ton of trials, but iodine is fairly healthy and fairly safe. So it's something that you will complement your existing iodine um, in your diet. We don't drink hard water anymore. Uh, we drink soft water from taps. Uh, because of that, we might be missing certain levels of minerals that would make the water hard. So in absence of buying expensive mineral water, um, some people take trace mineral supplements or, you know, approach it through other means, but basically getting some minerals that people don't uh, talk about a lot, like lithium. Um, areas that have higher lithium in their water tend to have lower suicide depression rates. Um, and that could just be, you know, it's observational evidence, or it could be there's something about lithium. And it just so happens that lithium is used or used to be used somewhat often um, in psychiatry. Mm -hmm. um, and then certain areas of the country, like uh, Lubbock, Texas, has fairly high magnesium levels. And then cardiovascular disease rates are a bit lower in some places that have higher magnesium levels in their water. So, you know, you have to think about basically everything in your lifestyle and diet and then think how to complement that to fill it out. Now, a supplement is different in my mind in this uh, analogy I'm trying to draw. So a supplement would be something like I have a medical condition and I'm going to supplement in order to try to treat it so that maybe I can reduce the amount of medication I'm taking or just not take medication at all or not have surgery on some random joint. Um, or it could be like, I can't eat certain foods. Like I'm vegan. I also have certain gut issues. Um, or I'm vegan. I have depression. What should I do therapeutically? So that's a case where something like creatine might help. So creatine, um, aside from the muscle stuff, one of the coolest, newest uses is brain-related things. So um, in the brain, uh, it's a bit more efficient to have lots of small uh, neurons clustered together so that we don't use a lot of energy and waste a lot of space. But then some parts of the brain are sort of like, if that's a side street, a typical row of neurons, then... If you have uh, a highway with a lot of throughput um, and a lot of information can pass and it's not a, a bunch of small stuff close together, that's called a rich club center. And it could be a, a space where like memories are formed or higher level cognition takes place. It turns out that creatine supplementation could boost rich club connections in the brain. And there was a trial just a year ago that we covered that showed that creatine significantly improved major depression. So that's not just... I'm depressed or I feel sad, that's major depression. So it might not help just people with typical clinical depression, but that seems cool to me because creatine is something that's cheap, fairly safe, um, has been studied a lot and certain people, and especially certain people who are vegan and vegetarian could use it. Um, and then also it applies to protein as well. So um, protein is occasionally a medicinal food um, that can be prescribed and that's protein in the form of um, glutathione boosting protein. So this won't apply if you're vegan, but if you're vegetarian and you still uh, consume some dairy, then cold processed whey protein can boost glutathione levels much more efficiently than almost anything else. Um, so you could use your protein and double it up for a medicinal benefit. So there are some times that you might think about supplementing, but these are just additional uses, not something that everybody has to do. Gotcha. I really like that approach. And and I'm glad you brought up creatine too, because that's actually the next thing I want to talk about. Um, 
Actually, I was a uh, I was working on my math PhD before I before I scrapped it all to do uh, to do no meat athlete, and a supplement com- completes a 180 degree angle. A complement completes a 90 degree angle. Oh, so okay, there you go. Maybe you can work I'm, that into I'm the. Glad uh, I talked to you because I would have just kept. Yeah. So now, but maybe maybe with complements and supplements, you can you can you know expand the metaphor even more and somehow exactly make yep. it make it perfect. Um. Okay, so on to creatine. I, um, it's interesting that you brought up the the brain function idea because for me, I, I used to take creatine even before I was vegetarian or vegan trying to gain weight as many guys in college did. Um, and then I read in Tim Ferriss' book, 4-Hour Body, 2011, I think, uh, some footnote that said, what happens when, when vegetarians take creatine? They get smarter. And it mentioned some study. And then I went to examine.com whenever, a few months or years later, and looked it up, and it sounded like you guys were kind of saying, like, this isn't really true. There's not enough evidence to really say that's true at all, um, but it was true in this one particular study. So it sounds like, though, that's that's being researched more now is, is a legit thing, because I swear when I go in the gym and try to put on weight and I start taking creatine for a little while, that my memory is better, and I'm just I'm quicker mm-hmm. to recall things, and I don't stumble on words. You know, it's just easier for me to get what I'm looking for in my brain, uh, and I wonder, you know, t- of course, that's totally anecdotal, and perhaps I'm just kind of uh, susceptible to to suggestion, and you know that just I'm just sort of biased. Uh, I don't know. I mean, does it seem like that is really a legitimate, good idea? And and also like when we talk about things, I've also seen some. I think also on examine.com, um, the talk of these growth promoting supplements, including creatine and maybe even some protein supplements, having some sort of weak testicular cancer link. Um, but that you know that again was also just one study. I mean, it, again, I don't know if you can say definitively one way or the other, but it, so is creatine something that, that you think is a, you know, could be a good idea? Yeah. So, uh, there's a few things about that. First is that, um, for something like vegetarians and creatine, the evidence is mixed for a lot of issues simply because there's been more than one study. So the balance of evidence shows that it probably helps, uh, vegans and vegetarians more than people who eat animal products. Um, and most people, it, it, will help even if they don't notice it. Um, but most isn't like 90%, it could be like 51%. Hmm. So, um, but then second, there's a decent amount of creatine non-responders. I don't know if it's been studied how many non-responders there are and people who eat animal products versus not. Um, but that could explain anecdotally why some people don't feel any different when they take creatine and some people do. Um, and then uh, third, we re- are, we interviewed a creatine researcher for one of our research digests, and I asked him, um, you know, creatine is the only supplement that uh, people routinely cycle. Uh, for some reason, people tend to think that all other supplements are safe to take forever. <laughs> so he said, um, yeah, you know, he supplemented too. So I said, oh, is that because of a reduced um, sensitivity to creatine or production after you stop taking it? And he said, no. Um and I, I'm glad that he exactly agreed with me because it's great when that happens. But he basically <laughs> said he does it because of precaution. So when I was in school for public health, uh, one of the first things we get tossed, taught is the precautionary principle. So when you're talking about health, then you don't just kind of throw things at an issue and see what sticks. It's because you can only know so much about something. Um, studies are just part of an iteration in the scientific method. So um, there might be 20 more studies on creatine and uh, brain health done in the next 20 years. And just like, uh, you know, the the Nate Silver, Trump versus Clinton uh, poll thing right now, even though Hillary has an 86.5% chance of winning, Donald Trump still has 
a higher chance than one would think. And it's not because, you know, the media is biased or whatever, whatever. It's because when you do a full model, you don't only base it on published stuff. You know, there's uncertainty. So with something like creatine, it can do a lot of things. So there's going to be some uncertainty. So it could have benefits we don't know about. It could have detriments we don't know about. And uh, creatine and protein and anything that promotes anabolism could potentially be growth forming for something like testicular cancer. But the evidence is not strong at all. So like there was one uh, study that showed um uh, possibility of increased balding with uh, creatine. So not actually balding, but increasing the hormone that could promote balding. So then people were like, oh, should I not take creatine? Well, um, there's been, I don't know how many hundreds of studies. We have like 740 on our website that have not noted any balding whatsoever. So I don't know. I You know, when you do something that uh, can make you lift more weights, it might not be the thing you're taking. It could be the lifting more weights that promotes testosterone production or something which could have an indirect effect so i don't really know but i do think it's good to be safe like the creatine researcher said um he takes breaks with creatine not just to be safe but also because creatine saturation um actually decreases very slowly after you stop taking it so even if you stop for three four weeks you'll still have somewhat higher levels of creatine than baseline and still be benefiting. And then when you get back to creatine, then it'll be quicker to get back to the elevated level. So um, just goes back to the same point. I think supplementing the same thing every day is a bit overrated. Okay. So why, why with something like creatine, why is there more a sense of precaution when something like protein powder, there's really not that precaution? I mean, because creatine's in, in food, right? Just like protein is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because it's an amino acid. So is it just that it it hasn't been something people have been supplementing with for all that many decades now, and that's the reason for the precaution, or is is it something beyond that? I think part of it is that when creatine came out, um, you know, half the people in the U.S. thought that it was a steroid. So <laughs> I remember, um, so back in the day, I weighed like, I don't know, 135 pounds freshman year of college, and then I started lifting weights. And the first person I talked to was a just happened to be the guy who lived next to me and he was an amateur world record holder in powerlifting told me stop you stop micromanaging your sets and reps and you know angles on various lifts learn how to cook and learn about nutrition so that's how I got hooked on nutrition um and then he told me um you know these supplements have evidence and even back then he was like watch out because uh, creatine and certain androgen promoting substances will be seen as steroids. So I went to visit a friend's place for Thanksgiving and his mom saw a bag of uh, fish oil pills that I had on the counter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she pulled him aside after I had left and said, um, is that that creatine? Is he taking steroids? Which is crazy because not it was a bag of fish oil pills, which have a very distinct look. It doesn't look like powder at all. Right. But also she's a doctor. So, you know, granted, this was uh, 18 years ago, but it just strikes me as crazy that even people in health professions don't know. But the second part of it is just that, you know, protein is protein. The uh, protein, carbs and fat will always have the weight of, you know, the last 50 years or many, many thousands of years of thinking about them. So protein is called protein because the the Greek uh, origin denotes a primary importance so protein is valued you know special case cereal had weirdly tries to uh classify itself as high protein so um you know protein is from whatever is just kind of dried slightly processed plant or animal it's not that different than food 
creatine is different than food, even if it's in food. And because it's a white powder that basically looks like cocaine, people will be suspicious. But the end result is not that different than something like protein because protein can do a lot of things in the body. Creatine, uh, you know, energy production, whether it's in muscles or brain, it doesn't really have a lot of downside. It's not going to kill your kidneys or liver. It's not going to be I, – I think it's not likely to be very adulterated. Um, you take it in small amounts usually. You know, it's, it's not likely to be harmful, but it has a lot of negative connotations. Okay, and the, the last specific supplement I wanted to ask you before we wrap this up uh, – is BCAAs, branched chain amino acids, which are one of those things, I don't know, I guess I guess just having done this thing for Nomad Athlete for, for several years now, it's one of the things that seems to come up fairly often among other athletes who are considering eating this way or who are new to plant-based diets, and it's one of those things that they get in their heads that, that they need to take in order to keep, you know, whether or not they're trying to think they're going to get a performance boost from, from this type of diet, uh, you know, especially if they don't think that, what they think they need to do to keep up their their performance is take branched chain amino acids. Um, at the same time, it, it, to you know, like my friend Ray Cronice is a friend of mine, and he I've talked to him a lot of times about these topics, and he he's you know basically said like BCAAs are are what you want to avoid by going plant based. You start to to lessen some of these these protein certain amino acids that that you know are tumor promoting and all that stuff, and so he thinks it's just completely crazy to start taking them once you're eating a plant based diet. Um, what do you think about about them? I mean, is, is, does it seem like a, a first of all good idea for for performance, and second of all for longevity? So typically, whether somebody eats meat or they don't, BCAs have a very limited indication. Um, it's typically for people who train fasted, um, people who are trying to reduce overall calories. So to get anabolism, you don't have to take the other amino acids. You can concentrate on BCAs, EAs, or leucine. Um, but for 95 to 8% of people, BCAs won't boost performance any more than just normal protein will. Because when you get, when you take in protein, if you're, you're getting all your amino acids, you're also going to be getting BCAAs. Mm-hmm. And that it doesn't matter whether you're eating meat or not eating meat. Um, but then I think in a more general sense, uh, BCAAs, uh, for lack of a better term, they sound important to people. You know, it's an acronym. They have interesting uh, cyclic structures. Um, it's expensive. If you buy unflavored one, it tastes like vomit. So maybe that's good because it's powerful. So um, if I were buying a supplement, if I was uh, vegan and I was an athlete, then I would take a step back and think, you know, what has the best benefit to cost ratio? Because BCAs are actually pretty expensive. So um, it's not necessarily things that sound fancy. Uh, there's things like Vegans typically get a ton of vitamin C, but um, I think some vegans don't realize that vitamin C could have interesting uses. So, uh, you know, we lost the ability to synthesize vitamin C, you know, many hundreds of thousands of years ago. All primates um, can, or all mammals can synthesize vitamin C except for us humans and some primates and I think guinea pigs. Um, And the reason that's important is because yeah, if you're eating a vegan diet, you're going to be eating enough fruit to get vitamin C. Um, but if you're eating a vegan diet, it doesn't exempt you from having a stressful life. Um, there's plenty of people who eat vegan diets and then have a lot of work stress or relationship stress or some catastrophic event happens. And then their diet kind of spirals, you know, not eating meat, but just eating a junk food vegan diet. In that case, um, and some other cases, extra vitamin C could be helpful, and it's so cheap, you know, just powdered ascorbic acid. Um, 
And it's because when mammals synthesize vitamin C out of glucose, sugar, then they make a ton more of it when they're under stress. And humans can absorb a lot more vitamin C when they're under stress. So it makes me think that when you're under a lot of stress, vitamin C is a potent antioxidant, uh, but in and of itself, it's not gonna boost your health beyond baseline. But if you're doing very poorly, there are certain supplements that could help. Like uh, glutamine is not muscle promoting really, but if you're training really hard, glutamine could help your gut. And you need a, a gut lining that's strong and not leaky and whatnot in order to you know, eat healthy enough to nourish your body for training. Similarly, supplementing vitamin C could help when you're under stress. Um, if you take it regularly, it can prevent colds um, to a small degree, and especially the harder you train. But the coolest use, I think, is um, there's a, a medical condition called reflex sympathetic dystrophy, um, alternately called R uh, uh, hold on, uh, CRPS, um, chronic regional pain syndrome. So um, it's one of the most painful conditions on the McGill pain index, which is used in research to look into how painful something is. On a scale of one to 50, childbirth is like a 24 or 25, um, and RSD kind of hovers around 41 out of 50. So uh, it's extremely painful. In some cases, when you go outside and the wind blows on your face, it can hurt so much you have to go back inside. Um, so it hurts a lot. And it turns out there's only two ways to uh, prevent or treat it. So uh, the treatment is a ketamine coma, which I, you know, I don't, I don't think any of your listeners should just randomly try. But <laughs> I think if you have a, an injury from training, and especially if you have surgery, then make sure you get 500 milligrams a day of vitamin C for at least 30 days, because that dosage has been shown to largely prevent uh, chronic regional pain syndrome. And it's not something that comes up a ton, but uh, somebody messaged me on Facebook a, a few years ago, and they said, oh, um, my, my knee has been swelling after I had ACL surgery, is there anything I should do? Or they tagged me on a post, and a bunch of other people answered, they said, try bone broth or, you know, try glucosamine or, and then there were like 20 answers. And I was like, I don't want to pile on as the person who's like, Hey, if you try this. So I just didn't say anything. <laughs> and then it turned out that they ended up getting this thing CRPS. So I felt shitty. And now mm. half the time when I'm on a podcast or at a talk, I just mentioned vitamin C because if you have surgery, vitamin C is, it doesn't hurt and it could really, really help. And it's because vitamin C has a unique role in our body. Anyway, you know, back to the original question, BCAs don't waste your money on them unless you have a very, very specific reason to try them. Cool. So the, so the vitamin C thing that, uh, I mean, that might give some truth to the, to the old idea that when you start getting sick, it's, that's when you'd load up on, on vitamin C. Cause you know, potentially, I guess if, if you're getting sick then that means maybe you were somewhat stressed in the week before that. Is that, does it seem like maybe that's Yeah. True? I think when you're sick, then, um, uh, it might, it, this doesn't sound scientific, but what animals do when they're sick is they go to a dark place and they sleep, um, you know, and they don't eat a lot. So they don't eat a lot because they don't have grocery stores. So we're not animals or we're not, you know, other animals. Right. But, um, my tendency used to be when I was sick to eat a lot of sugar and a lot of junk food. Um, and that made me feel better acutely, but it's possible that eating a bit less food, you know, not a ton of sugar because a lot of sugar acutely could slightly suppress the immune system, um, T cells. And there's only been one or two studies, but um, it's probably a bit better to focus on supplements that help vitamin C, 
elderberry, zinc lozenges, maybe a couple others, um, and not overdo it with the sugar. And then if you're in a stressful training period, then maybe also supplement with something like glutamine and maybe even garlic because garlic has been shown to decrease the um, incidence of colds. Um, and that kind of smart supplementation coupled with eating healthy, I think could cut the duration of somebody's cold by quite a bit. Huh, good. All right. Well, uh, last thing I want to ask you, Kamal, is uh, really, I guess, not really about supplements at all, but maybe a kind of a taking a step back and, and just a general approach to this sort of thing. One of the things I hear all the time from people is just frustration over conflicting advice on the internet. And what I've noticed about the conflicting advice is that when you read it, it really does seem totally trustworthy and well-researched because it seems like you can find research to point to whatever conclusion you want. Um, I mean, other than reading examine.com and, and subscribing to the Research Digest, which I can personally attest to, I've, I've looked at many of them, and uh, they're very, very well done. Uh, I mean, what, what is, how does somebody cut through the, the noise and, and just kind of get the, the signal out of this stuff? So I think the first step is to make sure that you know where the sources of noise are. So the number one source of noise is the person who's reading it, uh, because I've had assumptions about, you know, diet, training, nutrition my whole life, and then I try to wear them away and question my own assumptions. So there was a, a painting at uh, my school library a few years ago that said, um, teach thy tongue to say I do not know and thou shalt prosper. And it's extremely true. If you can uh, focus on what you don't know rather than what you know or think you know, then you'll start learning a lot more. The second source of bias is not actually the media, but the second biggest source is the original press release from the research center. So there was a paper in the British Medical Journal a few years ago that showed um, uh, in media coverage where uh, something might say, oh, you know, this supplement helps, but actually the research was based on animals or, you know, this supplement has strong evidence, but it's actually correlational. Um, a lot of those assumptions actually went back to the original press release. And it's because the researcher doesn't write, write the press release. The press people do, the, the PR people who are trying to get the study attention. So when you read an abstract from a paper or you read a press release on the university or hospital website, question it. Now, I'm not going to say that you can always read the full text of the study because, like I said, it's boring. But you don't have to just read examine.com. Maybe try to learn a bit about research if you're really into it. Um, we have a, a short uh, free PDF about how to understand research. You know, it can get much more complicated than that. But knowing what a p-value is, knowing how to read an abstract can really pay dividends down the road for helping your own health and your family's health. But other than that, um, you know, don't trust authority. And this isn't like a conspiracy theory, but when I Google something, I think fish oil is the only supplement where you Google it and we're the number one or number two search result. Other than that, it's going to be an, another website. And when I Google a supplement and I see WebMD's coverage or somebody else's coverage or Mayo Clinic, it's some of the worst stuff I've ever seen. It's extremely simplistic, really behind in the evidence, um, oftentimes just somewhat inaccurate. And it's because, you know, Cleveland Clinic doesn't mean anything. You know, they just had a thing that came out talking about how great goji berries are for as a source of protein and something else about how to get your best beach body. So don't trust authority, trust yourself, trust very smart physicians or naturopaths or whoever you prefer. Um, and just start learning. That's really the only way you can find out what to trust and what not to trust. Hey, I got one more for you that just came up. I wasn't planning on asking this, but then you mentioned, uh, studies and design of studies and things like that. What, what do you think of the China study as someone who is unbiased and doesn't seem, you know, cause a lot, there are a lot of seemingly really fair criticisms of it on the internet. 
Um, but I'm having this this very problem, always wondering: is that person just have you know a totally anti-vegan agenda, uh, or or is it just maybe not not truly the best design study out there? And maybe there are even better 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 things out there that we could use as as plant-based dieters to to promote what we're what we're doing. What do you think? Have you do you know much about the the details? Of yeah. The so uh, I think it's there's some good aspects of it, uh, namely the size. Um, and then uh, T. Colin Campbell is a, a smart person. And then there's some bad things like it wasn't necessarily very uh, systematically analyzed. And then probably the best write-up I've seen is from, I think, former vegan Denise Minger, who mm-hmm. you probably are aware of, yep. um, which is extremely lengthy. But you know, in summary, it's good to look at observational evidence like the China study in order to see correlations. But there's also correlations in there between like wheat and disease versus rice and disease. Um, so it's not necessarily all the animal products. Really, the hierarchy of evidence is typically seen as meta-analysis, which is pooling of numbers from different randomized trials and then a randomized control trial below that. And then observational cohort studies like the China study, um, and then case series or case studies of one or more people. I actually think that's wrong in my personal view. So um, meta-analyses, even though I used to work at a center that did, you know, huge meta-analyses, and uh, and I'm somewhat trained in meta-analysis, it misses a lot of the details. So if you have a meta-analysis of um, like animal fat or of uh, vegetarian protein sources and heart disease risk, that doesn't tell you very much because what it tells you is what has been researched in the past and then summarizing all the numbers statistically. What it doesn't tell you is which one is the strongest study and which one has a population which applies to you. So if you're somebody with a family history of heart disease and you're vegan, then reading a meta-analysis about a certain type of protein and heart disease is not going to tell you much. You have to find the study that applies to you that was done really well. Um, so what I think I would do is I would couple my own experience with the strongest trials. Um, so, you know, everybody has different guts, for example. So just because a probiotic helps somebody in some study doesn't mean much because probiotic side effects aren't really well enumerated because manufacturers don't capture side effects well because they want to sell their probiotics. So some probiotics can make people feel worse, but it's not really captured in the literature. So go by your own experience. Now, something like longevity you can't tell whether a supplement is making you live longer unless you're omniscient or something. So because of that, you have to look at trial results or observational results. And if you're looking at longevity, something like blue zones, you know, Okinawa, people didn't eat a lot of meat. uh, They didn't eat a lot of calories. So they kind of had the one-two punch for longevity. Um, They ate some unnatural foods, uh, lower calorie intake because of the war and famine and stuff. And they still had a wide variety of um, vegetables and some fermented foods. So I think that's somewhat useful. And looking at super centenarian diets um, shows you that you can eat a lot of different things and still live to an old age, but it's extremely important to have a good perspective on life, more so than your specific dietary intakes. So, you know, couple your own experience with studies, with observational evidence, and I think that's the first step to getting somewhere. Great. Well, this has been really, really informative, Kamal. Thank you for for showing up in here. I, I hope uh, I hope people have gotten the sense of, of what I mean when I say that Examine.com really, you know, just seems like a really great place to get information because it is, you know, the the, the value of, of being unbiased is such a such a priority for you guys. Um, so, really, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for showing up. Where should people go? I mean, there's examine.com, of course, which is the homepage, and from there you can navigate all around. We've mentioned the Research Digest, which I think you said ha- it's an anniversary coming up or something? 
Yeah, so our two-year anniversary is coming up um, next month. Uh, the Research Digest is used for continuing education credits for dietitians. Interested, normal people read it. Uh, trainers, um, athletes, that's sort of our general population of people who read it. We cover a few different uh, studies each month and we tear them apart. Um, we have a, uh, I put together an um, anniversary issue that has 12 of what I think are the most innovative studies in the past uh, year. Um, I don't know if there's a way to get your readers to see it, but, you know, it's completely free and it's kind of our best stuff over the past year. So it's an interesting read. Um, but if you want to get in touch, go to examine.com. I read every email that comes in. Um, contact us on Facebook. Um, you know, let us know if you've tried something and it worked or it didn't or if you have a complicated question. We can't answer medical issue questions because, you know, we're not your doctor, but um, it sounds corny, but we're we're your friend that reads studies for you. Um, you know, we hope that we provide some value and we maybe get you a bit more interested in research, but we're never going to be a multi-billion dollar company because we're not selling supplements. We're not selling products. Uh, we try to be not very skeezy in our marketing efforts. So we depend on people buying some of our additional information to, to keep things running. You don't have to do that, but do read the website. Great. All right. Well, uh, I will I will put a link to several things we've mentioned here, as well as the, you said that there's something that, that you made this this the thing where you compiled a bunch of different. Uh, you said was it studies? Yeah, an anniversary issue that has uh, twelve of our best uh, study breakdowns. Okay, and that one's free. Yep. Okay. Cool. I'll, I will get in touch with you about a link for that, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, other than that, I think I think think we're pretty good. So thank you, Kamal. Really, this has been uh, fun for me, and I hope people have, have enjoyed it as much as I have. It's my pleasure. Um, it's the first time in a couple of years I've been able to talk about vegan vegetarian stuff on a podcast. So I, <laughs> right. I love it. Good. All right. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope to talk to you soon. Yep. All right. Bye. bye.